0: Hey friends, and welcome to Simple Syrup, a podcast filled with stories, thoughts, and musings with the intention of sweetening your day. Before we get started today, I have to say you are about to listen to part two of a two-part conversation I had with a friend of mine named Nick Lee. The first part was recorded and released a couple weeks back, and I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to give that episode a listen before diving into this one. This is a candid conversation about race and inequality in America, and without the first half, the second half might feel a little bit off. So if you need to, stop this episode right now and go back to the episode titled Nick to Nick. Okay, so for those of you still with me, as a reminder, Nick Lee who is a former pastor here in Oklahoma City who has recently moved down to Florida, is a good friend of mine, and also happens to be black. Our original conversation lasted almost two hours long, and so out of respect for the original time parameters we put on this podcast, and out of respect for your time as a listener, we are cutting it down painfully to two 20-minute episodes, which obviously leaves a lot of the conversation out of the mix. So we will be posting the full conversation in its entirety after the release of this episode for anyone who should so dare to dive into the unabridged conversation. Now, one final note before we begin you are about to enter into this conversation in the middle which means all of the introductory things have already been said and most of the surface level conversation has already been discussed where we are picking up is at the meaty center of this conversation and i say that as a warning because right out of the gate we are going to be discussing some things that for some is going to be quite uncomfortable but i ask that you listen carefully with an open heart and an open mind and trust the process of this conversation because where it leads is not only informative, but hopefully extremely transformational.
1: So I'm a big history buff, right? I love the History Channel. They had a series of the men that built America, and it was like Andrew Carnegie, uh, J.P. Morgan, the Rockefellers, right? U.S., you know, U.S. Steel, and all of those things that built America, right? So um, they they touted these men and talked about how great they were and how they built this industry and the steel workers and the you know building all of this stuff. Well, so I'm reading this book, The Color of Law, and it's talking about like U.S. Steel and some of these other corporations that have been around for a really long time. And um, there's this Reconstruction period after the Civil War that was supposed to, in essence, level the playing field, right? There's some really crucial things that happen. But Reconstruction gets cut short because Abraham Lincoln is assassinated. But after Reconstruction ends, we end up in like the sharecropping time where it wasn't slavery necessarily, but it was slavery in the sense that sharecroppers it wasn't a fair deal, and they always ended up owing more money than they made. And then, so back to yeah. the policing thing, as I'm getting to the whole part about giving some of this stuff back, you end up seeing the number of people going to jail go through the roof because you can't, slavery is now illegal, but extrajudicial, like policing is not. So you can start putting black folks uh-huh. in, like, prisons and farm camps. So here's the part about why there needs to be some stuff reorganized and given back. So when they couldn't get enough workers in the North or in places, you know, around the country, they essentially leased black folks from prisons. And we're talking about things like going to prison for vagrancy or, uh, you know, just, just random stuff that doesn't make any sense to go to jail for, let alone prison for. But then they take those workers out of prisons and they send them to U.S. Steel and they send them to these places. And the reason why they do is because they can pay a minimal fee to a prison system. And then that prison system sends all of these black folks and brown folks and they're working and they're not getting paid you're paying pennies on the dollar to like prison systems. And so these folks in, in, you know, these conglomerates, these big names are making money off of black bodies, not paying anything. And that's how they kept costs down. So we talked about how great they did. Well, I could do really great in the business. If my overhead, it's like, you know, you guys run in the coffee. If you could figure out a way to hire somebody to, to make your out, put through the roof but you didn't have to pay them a dime or you could figure out a way to get all the coffee and all the milk and all of the, the syrups for nothing well yeah you you could make a right. killing too so we talk about all of this wealth that's stored up in this only top two percent and one of the biggest reasons is because of wealth transfer but it was all i mean essentially I'm going to make a really bold statement here. It's essentially stolen money off the backs of people who Mm. couldn't do anything to stop it. And so when we say like, yeah, there needs to be some reorganization, people go, well, they they pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. That actually couldn't be further from the truth. They they were living in a time where they could use people's labor at almost no cost. To them whatsoever, work them to death and keep moving and keep the money and then pass it on from kid to kid to kid. So while we have to bring the graph up, we also have to recognize that some of that stuff is ill gotten gains and it has to be made right somehow.
0: Right. Well, and I even, I mean, that, that reminds me, I have to say, well, first of all, like, didn't know any of that probably didn't after after my confession of how well i know history it's probably not a surprise um but if we could like kind of pull it into the the here and now more i saw a comment on facebook the other day that said like you know you know people people say i I have all this privilege like well I, i worked my tail off to get where i am and and like my my internal just processing of that was like, was reflecting on like my own life, you know, and like my wife and I started our own business and, and we're successful to the point that we can feed our family and we're kind of growing, we're doing all this stuff. And like, yeah, like we've worked really, really hard for that. But my dad started and sold a couple companies in his time. My mom started a company. Yeah. My, my wife, Lori, her sister and her brother-in-law each started their own yeah. businesses. Her dad started his own business. Her grandfather started his own business. Like even just the mentality that says, Hey, I can do this like extremely risky, really hard thing yeah. has been passed down generationally, yeah. let alone the way that like, my uh Lori's dad's business and I mean he has a has like his metal shop had an extra bay where we could keep the bus when we remodeled it and he had welding equipment that we could borrow and he had skilled you know craftsmen that we could work on and someone that could run a you know a CNC machine that for a couple pieces that we need and just like all of these resources and then even when we kind of like begin to piece it apart like that and just realize like yes, we worked really, 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 really hard but we also had access to a lot of things that not everybody has access to. And when we start talking about um, white privilege, I think that there's there's this disconnect where people feel as though it's a personal attack. But I think as a majority, the conversation around white privilege is like kind of like what you said, like for several generations, for hundreds of years, there have been access to resources for one demographic of people that another demographic of people has not had access to.
1: Yeah. The reality is, is both again, like it's both the academic conversation and the personal conversation. There's the part of like stress that, that a lot of white folks don't have to have. And you know, the way that they live their lives because they don't have to have those conversations with their kids. And you know we know now, because of you know psychology and all the 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 things we've done on like tracking you know, the brain and everything, that there is trauma that does pass down through DNA and through the generations. And that stuff adds up on itself. Like the life expectancy for like black men and women are are lower because there is like trauma and shared trauma across the 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 years so that's like one right off the top that like folks in my position have but then there's also the conversation of again when we're talking about passing down generational wealth or even like passing down a house people don't recognize or even the business part like you talked about being able to get a loan to start that business it is extremely more difficult for people of color to get those startup loans because they're seen as a much higher risk. So there are these levels, even, even then you're talking about like how difficult it was to start a business for a person of color. You can't get a loan to get that business started. You had to have so much more cash up front that it almost makes it not make sense. So as much as we talk about, like I have privileges or like you have privileges that you don't know about that. Is in some ways true, but not because you you can't realize it. It's because like inherently I think we do understand that we have privilege. And when and when it's like being talked about like the playing field being equalized, then we start getting into this rush of like, what if the playing field is equal? Would I have the same opportunities? Would my kids have the same opportunities, right? So like if you understood that your kids have a certain level, like they're ahead of the game, are you willing to give back those gains and put them on an even playing field? And so I always ask the question, like, I know we all want to, you know, be, you know, humble and we want to talk about how we'll do it just because it's the right thing to do. But like, I always wonder, like, as a white person, what's the incentive to even the playing field? Like, it's not like it's gonna give you some like, special reward. And to say that one day in heaven, Jesus is gonna give you the keys to the kingdom or something. It's like, yeah, well, I don't (laughs) do anything with it now. Right. Um,
0: I was gonna just about to ask you, like, do you think that it's a zero sum game? Like, could it not? I mean, if you're you're gonna put it on a a graph, you know, you you take the bars that are up real high and the bars that are down real low and you like meet them in the middle, um, I mean, my, my original question was, like, well, couldn't you just bring everybody up to the same level?
1: But you can bring up the level. And when you talk about like educational standards, um, you and I know, both know, like I, we got the house we have where we're at right now because it puts our kids in the best position to go to the best schools in this area of Florida, right? So where you live is important in order to get the schools that you want. And you know, there's discrimination and even in all of that stuff. So yes, we gotta bring up the areas that are that are worse. But I also would say that on the other side of that, Jesus actually does talk about that in a roundabout way. Um, because he he looks at the rich young ruler and says, Yes, you can come follow me. Here's the catch. And not even a catch, but like, you've amassed all of this wealth. You've done all these things and you've got all these resources. I want you to go get, I want you to, to liquidate them. We're going to give to the poor and then you can follow me. Well, hmm. so we sit in a country where we're having this discussion about, you know, 1% of the country or 2% of the country holds like 98% of the wealth in the country. So, the answer is, yes, we've got to to level everybody up and do the things. Um, but on the other hand, there also is going to be, like I said, there is going to be a need for some folks who have had privilege to give back. A good example of this is, I, I want to say it's Serena Williams' husband, is one of the guys on the board of Reddit, right? I think he was like actually one of the creators of Reddit, so he's super rich and just crazy influence he actually resigned from his post on the board yesterday not because he got in trouble not because of anything crazy he gave up his post in part because he said a person of color needs to be sitting in this seat so like that's an example of a guy who who has some privilege who Recognizes not granted he's Serena Williams' husband, they have children together, all of that stuff. But like, here's a guy who said to his corporation, "Listen, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving, and I want you to make sure that the person who fills this seat next is a person of color. Um, and if that's what it would take to make justice and equality across the board." I think you can see why this conversation is a difficult one to be had. Um, I can't imagine the incentive there. You have to go like, okay, so what do I get for this? What do I get for being benevolent and fighting for justice? And it's something that is like intangible in a way. The truth is it will make the world a better place because you start to eradicate like poverty like crime is driven because of poverty most people aren't like inherently bad um people usually take because they're in need now there's some people who just out there you know off the rocker and want to just take and that's their thing right yeah But like what happens if you like, if there is equality for everybody and there isn't huge wage gaps and there isn't huge discrepancies in housing, and what if the educational system puts everybody on an equal playing field and education is as easy to get as a cold and all of that stuff, right? Well then a lot of the things that we're seeing in society that are broken suddenly they start to diminish like really quick. I'll tell you what, like I'm not the enemy of white folks. I'm not, um, and get why people get upset about it because there's a ton of poor white folks too who are like, we aren't getting any extras at all. And that's the problem. We should be working together to even the playing field so that everybody has a chance to make it, but we're busy fighting each other instead of working together to make better what should be better. That's the thing about racism that is one of the most sinister things, is poor white folks and poor black folks are pitted against each other for, again, 5% of the pie or 3% of the pie. And it's just about like, who has a little bit more of nothing at all. Um, And so that's even the privilege conversation, right? People get mad about that. Like, we don't have anything. And I've seen that. Like folks who say we don't have anything and you're telling me we've got privilege. Well, you're right. Neither of us have anything. So why can't we get together on this and figure out how to change the system so that the playing field is equal and we can actually feed our families mm. and keep our houses. Mm. So like we have to talk about those inequities, but in order for us to get where we wanna get, where we have a world that is, that is working the way it should, and people can afford their houses, and people can afford to keep their cars, and you know, and you know, mothers and fathers don't have to work three jobs and miss everything in their kids' life just to provide a, you know, just to provide a house and food. There's another conversation that has to happen about like why are those inequalities so rampant, and we're not fixing those. And we're also faced with the thing of, it's also still true that as a black person in America. My like, I do. I don't want to get pulled over.
0: Yeah. So, the, yeah, the, the racial conversation should be a part of the the larger inequality conversation. Yes.
1: Yeah. The conversation about race and the conversation about inequality is is obviously not the main point, right? Like, the main point is sin and the condition of men's and women's hearts, right? So what's actually happening, why people are so uncomfortable right now, is less about the fact that racism is such a, you know, predominant thing. And it is a predominant thing. Um, It still is. But what's actually happening is racism is highlighting, like, Mm -hmm. hey, there's some mess that nobody wants to deal with. And that's why everybody's so uncomfortable. Like, racism, yes, is an issue, but it's like a symptom it's it's like it's a fever right
0: right yeah you
1: have a fever because your body's got a virus and it's trying to kill it off and and there's just there's something not right in the middle of us and that's what's happening so racism isn't like the end-all discussion the reason why people fight racism and everybody wants to fix the fever but nobody wants to really go to the doctor to deal with like the fact that you actually might be you actually might have cancer And the truth about cancer is there's a good chance you're gonna have to go through radiation or you're gonna have to cut that thing out. And nobody wants to go to the doctor for that. Like, let me take some Tylenol, fix the symptom as quickly as possible. That's why you always see like, we make these weird like laws up and we try to fix it externally, like, you know, externally, when actually it's an internal problem. And that takes a lot more work and a lot more sacrifice. And that's why you're watching like the world feel like it's burning to the ground because it desperately wants to like get the fever manageable so that nobody has to look at what's really killing everybody is a problem of literally not wanting people next door, like, not wanting our neighbor to have as much as we have because we think then that takes something out of our mouth. When in reality, the reason why there's a limit in the first place is because we've made the limit. Like, right. there doesn't have to be a limit. There doesn't have to be only an amount of education that can be given to, to one group of people. It doesn't have to be that way. Everybody can be at the table and get the right amount of education. Everybody can be treated with respect. Like, there's no, there's no finite amount of respect or kindness or love in the world. Like, it's, 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 it's inexhaustible. Like, you, you can have as much of that stuff as you want. Um, but we believe the lie that says if you get something, it takes away. Like, it's taking food out of my mouth. And in reality, um, you know, we can all eat.
0: This conversation with Nick did a few things for me. The first made me realize just how much I don't know and that I have a lot of work to do to understand a perspective that is not my own. And to rethink the things that I thought I knew. And among those things is the understanding that what I have or what I feel as though I'm entitled to might not actually be mine, but in some way might be more fate than hard work. That perhaps the things that I enjoy have a little less to do with the plays that I've made and more to do with the hand that I've been dealt. And if that's true for everyone, Man, in that game there are big losers to no fault of their own. But the biggest thing this conversation with Nick has shown me is the way the lie of scarcity turns neighbors into threats and enemies and how our actions are simply a response to that threat. It has caused me to realize the places in my life where I live out of that fear of scarcity, and encouraged me to reimagine what the world would look like if I and the rest of us chose to no longer believe that lie, but instead chose to care for our neighbors as we care for ourselves, believing that there is plenty of room at the table and that everyone can eat. And in doing so, we might just find that our lives don't actually lose what we think we could never get back. And instead, our world gains what we never knew we could have. And so, friends, may all of our mouths be full, and your days ever more sweet. Thanks for listening.